Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Here as we record on February 25th, a Tuesday, one day late, but with incredible information nonetheless. I was all excited to come on here and maybe open the show talking about my trip to Cameron Indoor Stadium on Saturday and our favorite venues and what it means to see your favorite team play in the stadium that they play at, etc. And then Duke loses in double overtime to Wake Forest just before we start speaking. So let's pivot and get the hell away from that and maybe come back to it toward the end of the show and people have lost interest in what we have to say. But one thing that both of us have interest in, as we've discussed on this program many times, is the Los Angeles Lakers. And a couple weeks back, probably three weeks now, we did a tribute show to Kobe Bryant, offered our thoughts on what it meant for him to be killed along with eight others in the helicopter crash and his legacy, et cetera, et cetera. And after a couple of weeks trying to get everything together, they were finally able to have a public celebration of life at the Staples Center on Monday afternoon, sold out, Stars among stars, friends of Kobe's, friends of the families, everybody that you wanted to be there seemingly was, and everybody that you wanted to hear from, we seemingly heard from as well. I I don't know who was in charge of booking the speakers, if it was asked by the family or asked by the team or however it was decided, but I thought as a whole... They couldn't have done a better job from who we heard from and what they put into that two-and-a-half-hour ceremony on Monday. I just thought, Johnny, it was uh, one of the most extraordinary things I have ever seen in my life. Um, you know, we, we all have heavy hearts just as, as – NBA fans, obviously as Laker fans, as a huge Bryant fan. And of course, we again, we don't want to go and, and bypass the other victims and their families that were on the ele- uh, helicopter that horrific four weeks ago. Uh, and the loss of life and the tragedy that all families have and will continue to have to deal with. But from the NBA perspective and you know, the Laker perspective, you know, Kobe Bryant is, and his daughter are front and center. And of course, on 224, his second number, 24, his daughter's number, two, they had the ceremony. And as you said, it was a who's who. Uh, the people who spoke, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, who was literally choking back tears and sometimes not able to uh, when he was at the podium. Vanessa Bryant, 
spoke and she was amazing in talking about her husband and her second daughter and the loss that her family has suffered and all the families have suffered. It was uh, incredible listening to her, her words and her thoughts and having to deal with it in the way she was somehow able to do it, which is mind-numbing in terms of the tragedy, you know, because when you lose a child, the, the thought of it to me, I know you don't have any, I have a 19-year-old who was my pride and joy, and I, I couldn't begin to fathom life without him. So I can't for an iota, a millisecond, even begin to imagine what she and the other parents of the one set of parents was on the helicopter, uh, but the surviving set of parents of the other teenage girl could even be doing to deal with this. I don't know if I could. Her strength was amazing. And the people who came up to that podium thereafter, we saw a side of Michael Jordan I've never seen. I'm 62. I am the old report. I go back to Michael Jordan uh, as a high school senior, Mike Jordan, and as a freshman and all the things we've seen since he became, by many, including me, considered to be the GOAT, the greatest basketball player of all time in the six championships and the six finals, MVPs. And for him to stand up there and not choke back there, to cry. Tears rolling down his cheeks as he talked about Kobe Bryant, their friendship and how it developed and how he was a pain in the ass as a little brother, as little brothers can be. And how Kobe Bryant always wanted to be the best he could be, you know, as a basketball player, as a father, as uh, as a husband. Gino Oriema, I thought, stole the show. He was brilliant. Talking about uh, your team, whatever your team may be, not just the team that's on the court, but the team you go home to, and that we've all got one. And talking about Kobe as a father and letting his daughter shine on that trip to UConn. Shaq, who broke the crowd up, as which is no surprise, along with his serious side, you know, telling the story about Kobe uh, not giving up the ball uh, when the, the teammates criticized uh, him for shooting too much. And uh, Kobe's response when uh, Shaq said he talked to him, said, he got a pass. Uh, no I no in team. And, uh, and, and Kobe's response. Um, Diana Taurasi, female mamba, the white mamba, who was off the charts. It was one of the most mesmerizing moments to me was um, the the incredible version of Beethoven's uh, fifth, correct? Am I correct? Moonlight Sonata. Was it, is that Beethoven's fifth or is it Moonlight Sonata? Are they the same thing? Moonlight Sonata, which I don't believe is also the fifth. But my okay. my classical knowledge isn't as good. I, I knew it by ear, and I think the reason she played that is, as the story goes, Kobe learned that just by listening to it. 
He right. learned it on piano just by his ear. So she was able to put that into perspective and, as well. And, and, and played it for his wife. And the passion that she played with and the emotion that she played with was mesmerizing. It really was. And to see all those people speak um, with the heartfelt thoughts and remembering all the victims and the occasional lighter side, which you have to have. Uh, so it's not just a total somber ceremony uh, was so incredibly well done. The timing of everything was as perfect as it could be. There wasn't anybody in the audience that you wouldn't want to see. Everybody was there. All the players, current players, all the past players, general managers, coaches. And, you know, if they were alive, they were there. And that was the thing that Gene Warriam alluded to. The fact that the talent in this room never seen anything like it, you know, present and, and, and past. It was really a remarkable ceremony and a tribute to their lives and a celebration. And I thought it was so, not because I'm a Laker fan, I just thought it was so incredibly well done on all fronts. That anybody who had a contributing uh, or was a contributing factor in that is to be lauded for their efforts and um, for their contribution to what was really a remarkable, uh, remarkable ceremony. Yeah. I mean, Alicia Keys, literally, I, I could not believe the passion with which she played. It was really amazing to watch her on that piano as as this as the, the the song progressed it's almost like it came to a crescendo her emotion it was it was amazing it really and didn't say a word didn't say a word not before or after uh, which i think all the more contributed to how uh, impassioned it was and so many of those who contributed seemed to just do it exactly right right i agree and she didn't need to say any words which was the incredible part about the performance because you weren't sure if maybe after that she was going to go into another song or say a prayer or what was going to happen but as we've been saying everything that happened was perfect from the singing aspect of Beyonce coming out to start and open the ceremony not because she was paid to be there or because she's Beyonce it was because she wanted to be there she wanted to perform the song EXO because Kobe Bryant apparently really loved it. And obviously transitioning into Halo, putting a slightly different spin on it for a celebration of life, as they called it on Monday, is it was incredible. Hearing her sing and what the moment meant, you knew right from that, here we go. We're starting off with the big guns right out of the gate with Beyonce singing these two songs some of the most powerful singing that she's probably done in her lifetime ever switched to singing Christina Aguilera coming out and singing Ave Maria completely in Italian in only way she could an incredible voice powerful again and they placed the musical portions at just the right time during the ceremony to kind of help split everything up and and really you in a little bit with 
let's just take a couple seconds again to remember these two that we're honoring today. And then even Maroon 5's new song, Memories, putting that up against highlights from Kobe Bryant for about three minutes. Everybody checked the video scoreboard, and it's like watching a, a slideshow at graduation or something with with a sad song behind it. And it, it everything just hit you over and over again, but in a good way. And one of the things you mentioned as well, as they're panning the crowd to show who's there, and it's probably an interesting feeling for those that are there for that, like seeing yourself on the camera at the stadium, right. like they're on me and you're at, you know, a funeral service. It's, it's probably not something that normally happens to people, but that uh, comes with the territory based on where they were, but you're panning the crowd and everyone who's anyone is there in some way. Elgin and Baylor, you just Jerry think West. Like, look, look at, look at, unfortunately, who's able to be at this. We talked about it when this first happened, that when you start rifling down the list of the NBA's top 50, top 100 players, you can count on one hand Literally. the star players that unfortunately have, are no longer with us. That's it. They're Literally. all still here. I mean, everybody thinks Bill Russell is 150 years old. He's still okay. He's, he's out there. He was there. It's, it's Pistol Pete. It's Will Chamberlain. And it's uh, Moses, Malone. Moses Malone. And John Havlicek. John Havlicek. And Kobe Bryant. It's not a big list. And unfortunately, Kobe Bryant, I mean, a quarter of the people sitting there with NBA ties are probably thinking, I would have never in a million years thought I'd have to sit at a funeral for Kobe Bryant. There's no way that this should have happened. So as another aside for that, you could take that into perspective. And, and I thought in general – what I was somewhat looking forward to, I mean, you're obviously not looking forward to this type of an event, but that there wasn't a lot of publicity as to who was going to speak, who was going to perform, None. what was going to happen. You had no idea. So Beyonce performs. You're like, okay, we'll see what happens now. And Jimmy Kimmel gets up there. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I was working a radio show, so we had this on mute, and I had to catch up afterward. But you knew probably that Vanessa Bryant and her daughters would be there or daughters that could come make it. You knew maybe that Vanessa Bryant would speak. We hoped we would hear her speak, but no one would have forced her to if she didn't want to. And no one would have blamed her if she couldn't make the ceremony itself because they've already buried both Kobe and Gianna in a private ceremony a couple weeks prior. So if that was too much for her and she said, forget it, no one would have batted an eye. But that, not only she was there, after a couple speakers, she gets up to, to talk. And, I mean, everything stops. How is she going to be able to do this? And I can't wait to hear what she has to say. And it was so, I mean, she spoke for 20, 25 minutes. And it was, it was in a sense, uh, refreshing or just the, the joy which she was able to speak on her daughter not on the basketball court. We heard so much of Gigi's basketball life with her father as her coach, how much she loved women's basketball in UConn, what she would have meant for the future of the sport, just how much she loved playing basketball. But Vanessa Bryant was able to paint the picture of the other side of Gigi, the daughter. Little girl. At home, at school, what she's like from the morning, giving her a kiss to at night, giving her a kiss before bed. And it, it was 
it was incredible to be able to hear that side of the story because before that we had only known so much on the basketball side. This was this is who my daughter was and who I want you to remember her as. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. I mean, we got it. Then, we got it with Kobe, you know, obviously afterward. But exactly. he's so publicized that he's done interviews about his public life, and she's talked about him publicly. And there were still anecdotes, but we didn't really know much about Gianna Bryant. And after that, I mean, I'm so happy that she had the strength and the grace and the courage to stand up there alone and be able to tell those two stories to us. I mean, she didn't need to do that. So it was that was an incredible moment for me. Extraordinary. Tarasi closing I, I, in I, Italian. I, I love the language. Just they just threw it in. Like, hey, remember Kobe spoke you know, four languages? Exactly. It, it's just like everybody was so well prepared. Everybody was honored to be a part of it. Nobody missed a beat. And again, it, the shots of the crowd were beyond belief. They really were. It, it was literally anything and everything you could imagine and hope that as much as you don't want that event to actually ever have to happen, obviously it had to. And you had no idea what it was going to be like. You had no idea how the crowd was going to behave. You had no idea who was going to be there. But you know, practically perfect is the best way I could describe it. Another powerful moment and an unexpected one as well was when we first saw, and I, I might have just missed it, but when Vanessa was coming off the stage, who stands up to help her get down the steps and hold her hand is Michael Jordan. And I, I said aloud, is that Michael Jordan? Like, I, I, I guess I just didn't expect him to be there or, or have a role in the ceremony. And again, it's, it's an incredible moment that he's just even there because everybody knows how much Kobe Bryant idolized him. And then he gets up to speak. And, and we, like we've never seen him and speak. And you're thinking, wait, like, Michael Jordan doesn't do this. Like, despite being you know, my favorite basketball player growing up and hundreds of millions as well, you don't really hear him speak in a public forum. Some no. of that is on purpose, and some of that is just who he is. Like, he'll release statements once in a while, and obviously in, with his role with the Charlotte Hornets, he's a public figure and has to make, make statements and, and be heard and let people know he's still around. But the last you know, speech that we heard was his Hall of Fame speech. And the Jordan meme, which he choked about down the road, which is incredible. So, okay, what is he going to say? And he immediately gets emotional and overcome, and he starts telling the story of how close he and Kobe Bryant were, which is something else that I don't think we realized. We know how much Kobe idolized him, yes. And you hear the term little brother thrown around, like that's what he hoped, and you know, Mike, it's not like they didn't have a relationship at all. They were they were close, but we didn't know how close. We didn't know Mike sharing a story 
2 a.m. text messages from Kobe asking him how he's going to teach his 12-year-old daughter the drills that he used to do at 12. And Michael Jordan said, yo, man, I was I was trying to play Little League Baseball. I was trying to play baseball, basketball. Hearing his relationship with Kobe was an unbelievable moment. How how hurt he is by this tragedy, as hundreds of millions, as we said, are. But how he was able to put into words their relationship and how it progressed over the years, how much he'll miss him. And, and it's almost, you know, it's, it's awful to think this way, but it's almost as if, like, the person that you idolize most in your life, whether that's if, if you have a favorite athlete or actor or celebrity crush or whatever it would be, a family member or a coworker, it could be anybody. Somebody that you grew up idolizing and hope to be as good as in the craft that you're going toward. I mean, you wouldn't want to know this, but to have that person then come to your funeral service to speak of you in a way that you could only dream they would speak of you was incredibly powerful. To hear his words on Kobe Bryant, when we know how much Michael Jordan meant to Kobe Bryant, I I mean... There's no, there really wasn't any way to put it into better words than Michael Jordan did. I, I again, what a moment for him to be able to have the strength to say, "Hey, I'm going to get up there and I want to talk. I want to tell everybody my story and I want to share in the pain and grief and show everybody how much this this means to me, how much Kobe Bryant meant to me. Incredible, absolutely incredible." Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And you, you couldn't stop watching it. That's the other thing. You know, it wasn't something you could just, all right, I'll come back and check the rest of it later. Because you had to hear what everybody had to say because everybody involved had a relationship. Everybody who spoke uh, had a closeness to him and or his daughter and or the Lake organization or all of the above and uh, the connections that he made and they made to both him and his daughter and the things that we got to hear was just built upon his legacy and the more we got to hear and learn about her and her passion and how she affected others. It was, it was really remarkable and seeing the reactions of anybody and everybody in that audience, that incredibly famous group, larger than life players and personalities of present and past, um, and how intense they were and how moved they were and how humored they were and how they all had to be there. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Glad I watched every second. Um, would watch it again because I, I it, it's, it's just, I mean, when you see that collection and you see that passion and that emotion for all those people. Uh, it's remarkable. 
really is. And uh, it was you know, amazing for me to get a chance to see it and see all of those uh, those incredibly accomplished and great players and personalities uh, who were a part of it and the part that they played in it. All is a tribute to him and his daughter. Truly off the charts. And, and uh, again, not because we're Laker fans. Whatever organization it was that would have put that together is to be lauded for just in, incredibly well planned, incredibly well thought out, and incredibly touching, not overbearing. Um, it, it, it was a true celebration. And that was terrific. And that was really uh, apropos. And I think that was the best part of all of it. Even though there were lots of tears and sorrow, it was truly a celebration of their two lives. And you you maybe feared or were unsure of how they would go about a celebration of life when so many days after this tragedy was spent hearing from close play, close teammates, family members, whoever it was, telling their Kobe stories and thinking of, well, are we going to go into this and, and kind of just rehash everything again and hear the same stories? And is ESPN going to have the same people sort of talking about what Kobe meant to them and their their relationships and what he meant to the game of basketball. It's like, we did that already. You know, we did that three or four weeks ago, however long it's been now, but it, it didn't feel like that at all. It, it was it all, it, seemed all fresh and new, It fresh, new, unique. And it, and it all worked out and felt right, which was the amazing thing about it. You couldn't have written up a better celebration of life for those two. Just from the words said, the performances if you haven't seen it, it's definitely something you have to check out. It's and, lengthy, and but it's it's well worth the watch, worth as Al said straight seconds. through. To listen to how powerful some of those words were by those who spoke, that's why it's, it is a must-watch, because we can learn from all of them, because they all have their own greatness, they all have their own experiences, they all have their own passion, because those are all people no matter what their age from young to old have accomplished so much and to hear what they have to say is well worth listening to. And then lo and behold on the court, somehow, some way, one more irony as Bradley Beal goes out that night and becomes the first player since Kobe Bryant to score 50 or more points, not in consecutive games, but on consecutive days, almost as in, you know, if it were his own tribute to Kobe Bryant. Uh, of course, the Wizards lost again, and he became the only player uh, who, who lost consecutive games in those consecutive day 50-point-or-plus performances. But just one more irony, because we've seen so many of them, where you're a guy scoring 24 or 2 or just not scoring 2, but you know, the, the, the way these things have played out, you know, since his passing, it, the, the numbers games have, have been you know so ironic, but that was just kind of like the coup de gras. Um, and now we move on. We move on without him uh, as the Lakers attempt to go out and uh, finish off what's been a terrific season and see if they can uh, 
get themselves to an NBA final, wade themselves through the West, excuse me, which will be incredibly difficult. Despite the fact that the Clippers have been struggling, we know the Clippers are going to be there. Uh, whether or not they're going to be in the Western Conference Finals together, we have no idea. The West is a war zone. So we'll see what happens in that regard. But you know, now it's time for the Lakers to roll on. And uh, they have LeBron to lead them, along with Anthony Davis. They entertain Zion Williamson as we are speaking. Uh, and after a fast start, can't put the ball in the ocean. Uh, but more importantly, we will uh, we'll see where the rest of their season goes uh, with LeBron, who was, I don't want to use the term notably at, noticeably absent, but certainly nowhere in our vision uh, if he was, in fact, there. But uh, that's, as he discussed, between you know him and him, and that's the way he's asked the press to leave it, and that's the way it's going to be left. We don't know if he was there not wanting to be seen or if he wasn't there, whatever the case may be. His job now is to lead the Lakers, and uh, and we'll see how he does in the last quarter of the season doing that. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to find confirmation either way for LeBron either attending on Monday or deciding not to. Some said he was there, but he specifically said no cameras on him. Others said he wasn't. And he he hasn't really said yay or nay to either, nor has his agent. But as you said, that's something between him and him, not really something that needs to keep us up late at night. You know, another one, too, to quickly mention, Sabrina Ionescu of Oregon women's team came to speak. She is a incredibly clo- had an incredibly close relationship with Kobe. And they made a joke, uh, Gina Oriema, about, Gianna meeting the Oregon team like hey you want to get your picture with with the team nah I'm good (laughs) I'm good but she that night then goes out and puts the cap on being the first man or women with 2,000 points 1,000 assists and 1,000 rebounds in division one on you know 224-20 she mentioned after the game how huge that is for her to be able to do that on the same day Uh, just incredible to be able to go out and play to go to this then go play a game and to have that then happen I mean it wasn't like she had to get all 2,000 1,000 1,000 one game but you still have to go out and perform as you're used to performing and she did so just another fateful type of action that happened on that day and I'm sure there'll be several more of that as the season goes on and you mentioned it too Al we're now in like the interesting point of the year where we're still too far from March Madness. And this year in particular, where there's not a handful of teams that have really separated themselves from the pack. You mentioned Kansas being the number one team, and they probably are, especially after knocking off Baylor this past weekend. Seemed like everybody lost this past weekend. Everybody that was, oh... Keep an eye out for Dayton and look out for SDMU and uh, and, and everybody was just falling, <laughs> falling, losing upsets, whatever you want to call it. Even Gonzaga, even Gonzaga, even Gonzaga, a the shocking loss. Is, the, the juggernaut Zags, a shocking loss. Right. The Zags See, never lose in the, the big team moment. In the country. They never come uh, up short in the big moment. What happened? They go down uh, to BYU. <laughs> they got wrecked on BYU's home it's, floor. It, it, it is unlike any season I can remember because we don't have 
Now, Kansas, as we discussed in preparation for the show, is starting. I'm not going to say that they've separated themselves from the pack, but, you know, they went into Baylor uh, and won on Baylor's turf. And I'm not, you know, they, they didn't blow Baylor up, but I thought it was a pretty convincing victory. Uh, I thought they were clearly the better team from the opening second uh, to the closing bell. And that is, you know, back on top of the Big 12, uh, which is, you know, not a deep conference this year. You know, the Texas Tech team that was so terrific uh, and came with a heartbeat of winning national title is, is certainly not uh, anywhere near the kind of team they were last year. Uh, it, it is not that deep a conference as it has been in the past. The Big Ten, everybody raves about how deep it is, but I don't see anyone in the Big Ten who is a national championship contender, and that includes Maryland, who went into Ohio State and lost on Sunday. Um, I, I just don't see a team from the Big Ten that is impresses me at all. I, I don't think there is anybody. If, if, if you said to me, is there any major conference which you have no thought that a national champion would come out of, I would say the Big Ten. Even even the Pac-12, you know, I, I can I can toss a bone out there for Oregon, even though it, it's it's a tough stretch. Um, or I, I just don't see a Big Ten team in the mix. I just don't. Not Michigan State is floundering. I think it's another incredibly overrated Tom Izzo squad, which seems to be the case year after year after year after year. Uh, you know, Purdue plays hard sometimes. You know, most of the time uh, has trouble scoring. Uh, Wisconsin, always the same. Uh, Iowa lost to Michigan State tonight. Indiana's pretty good. Uh, I, I just don't see, despite the depth and a lot of good teams, and it is the deepest conference, I, I just don't see a, a team coming out of there that's a national title possibility. I just I know anybody can go on a run, but I just don't see it. I, I don't see anybody in that conference, you know, that's as good as a Gonzaga. I don't see anybody in that conference uh, that's as good as, as as it pains me to say it as Duke on their best night or Villanova on their best night um, or obviously uh, Kansas or Baylor because uh, I think Kansas is the best team in the country. But you know that will be remain that will you know remain to be seen. I like Dayton a lot. Um, they're one of the best players in the country that nobody knows. Uh, I think they're a very solid team. Could they win a national title? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think they're at their best, better than anybody I've seen out of the Big Ten. Uh, I think these are all Final Four passes. San Diego State, of course. You know Gonzaga, all Final Four possibilities for sure. But is there, a, is there a national title favorite? Other than Kansas, I don't know who it would be. Couldn't I tell you. Couldn't tell you. And, and I think this year, as you mentioned, more than others, is not only is it hard to trust teams in general, and you threw out a couple that are hard to trust always, Michigan State being one of them, Kansas being another, Bill Self down the stretch. Give me that all day if you're playing against them in the tournament. This year. See, I, 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 I think Bill <laughs> Self on. is terrific. 
terrific coach. I mean, he's there all the time. You know how hard it is to be there all the time? It's hard to, and, you know, it's not like Kansas runs out, you know, the, the guys that Duke and Kentucky runs out there. Kansas doesn't run out four and five guys who leave after their, after their freshman year every year. You know, they'll have some one and dones, but they have a lot of guys who play two, three, sometimes four years. You know, it, it's not a constant parade of lottery picks, you know, in and out of Allen Fieldhouse. I think Bill Self is far too heavily criticized by anyone and everyone, including you, partner. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you wouldn't <laughs> know, you know, we can fog Allen from a whole from the Velvet Fog, yeah, Mel Torme. They named the stadium but, after him. He must have been a good guy. But 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 the point is, I think Bill Self is a terrific coach, and I can't sit there and tell you that there's this long litany of games where I think Bill Self is choked in the NCAA tournament. Look, it, when you're there enough as Self as Coach K. As Coach Bayheim, as Coach Knight, Coach Smith, going down the line. L- look at the list of upset victims. Those guys are the ones at the top of the list. When you're there so many times as a one or a two or a three or four seed, obviously you create the most opportunities for upsets. And if you check the list of you know two seeds to lose or three seeds to lose most frequently, they're on the list. They top the list. Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to have Bill Self as your head coach. I just typed in for fun on the old internet machine, Bill Self cheating, and got the articles from earlier before the season started. Remember when the NCAA was just going to come down on Kansas for whatever reason they saw fit? Just one of his quotes that I find humorous is, the narrative is based on innuendo, half-truths, misimpressions, and mischaracterizations. A little lawyer talk for you there, Al, from Bill Self. Throw a couple big words out there with miss at the beginning and nobody will know the otherwise. Yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. And you're right. Kansas is always there, and Kansas always has the experience. The frightening thing, if you're a fan of any of these teams, is seemingly at several times throughout the season, they've had that ugly, bad, I can't believe they lost that game performance, which, as anyone that follows the tournament knows, is exactly what dooms you in the Sweet 16 or the round of 34 or 32 jeez i mean the way they keep the way they keep adding more teams though we might get to 34 while this show is still on one never knows the sweet 18 jesus mary and joseph when we go to 96 we'll be calling them all sorts of different numbers every team has had the wow i can't believe they lost that and this year in particular there's more new names at the top of the top 25 that gives us even more doubt as to can we really put our faith in X team? Like when you're filling out your bracket and Dayton is a seven seed in most years, you enjoy them beating a 10 seed and then maybe moving on to beat whatever. And, oh, they made it to the Sweet 16. My bracket's still okay. Or San Diego State. 
Creighton. Same thing. These teams make runs and win a couple games, and you're thrilled that you had enough chutzpah to just write their name in your bracket without knowing anything about their team. I, I guess this year we're going to have to go and, and put our faith in the conference tournaments or at least turn them on and maybe see what the pros and cons are for these teams because there's going to be a lot of new names in the ball game. A lot of folks remember the name of the show. Big John Lon, my partner, the new report. Yours truly, out from White Plains, out and out, the old report. Leading to the fact that I, of course, love conference tournaments. So many people out there say the conference tournaments are a waste. Why do we watch them? Why do they have them? What are they for? They're for me. They're for me to watch, me to love, me to be glued to, me to see the 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-old players, especially the ones later in their career, trying to find a way to keep playing, to do anything they can to play one more game in a single elimination tournament to get to the big tournament, knowing that if they don't either win a couple games in this tournament or win this tournament, their careers are over. Thus, they are out there putting everything they possibly can on the line, on the court, hustling, diving, crying, laughing, doing everything they can just to play one more game, which they will then, if they are fortunate enough to do, get to the big tournament, which is obviously the same, one and done. But to get there, you have to lay it all on the line. And... I love the conference tournaments. I love seeing you know, the, the, the coaches uh, and their never-ending battles. I love seeing the rivalries. I love seeing the motion. I love seeing the passion. And I love seeing the runs. I may be in the minority, but that's too damn bad. That's why I am the old report. I love the conference tournaments. The same way I want to get now. Don't get me wrong. The bowl games are watered down. No doubt about that. And I would like to see the system get a shot of adrenaline. But I love the conference tournaments. I think they're important. I think they're vital. Um, I would like to see them played closer to home. I don't like seeing the Big Ten tournament in New York or New Jersey. I like seeing it in the Midwest where it belongs. Uh, I like seeing the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City every year. Uh, I think it is an event, and I I look forward to watching them every year uh, and hope they're going to continue and looking forward to them again this year where I think they will have more meaning and more impact than they've had in many years, many, many years. I hope so, because the only thing that gets lost in a sense or has over the past several years is that there's really not as much importance or weight put on winning the tournament, the conference tournament, unless you're a team that like desperately needs to win it. Like you need to run that table as a first four out team in order to have a, a prayer to make the NCAA tournament. But for the better teams, it's almost like, I mean, it would be nice. We'll get a trophy, but we'll also be playing you know, three games in four nights or whatever the math will turn into and in the back of your mind thinking, well, I mean, we're already going to make the tournament. We're already going to be an X seed. 
why go out and kill ourselves to say that we won the tournament for our conference? Even though I'm the new report, I too have also loved the ACC tournament. Some years it's also used, and I know as a Syracuse fan, you know this, it's like we can use this tournament because the competition will be a little bit more amped up to get ready for the NCAA tournament. For Duke, last year, it was Zion's only just coming back from his knee injury. He needs these games. He needs these minutes. He needs to be out there and hope they keep winning just so he can get some minutes under his belt after he missed six games or whatever it was with the breaking through the shoe. So in that instance, they need those types of games. I understand it's not what it was. As the old man here, I remember when – only the conference tournament winner went to the big tournament. I remember Maryland and NC State, you know, in nineteen seventy-four, in one of the greatest games ever played, that there is no tape of the entire game, only about two thirds of it, where David Thompson uh, and company won in overtime against you know, Tom McMillan and company, John, John Lucas was on that team and they were probably the second best team in the country, but they didn't get to go to the tournament because you only got to go to the tournament. If you won your conference tournament period, end of story, that was it. That was all. And that incredible Maryland team stayed home uh, after one of the handful of greatest college games in the history of the game. Uh, So I remember those days and that's when the electricity of the conference tournaments was unequaled. But I also remember the heyday of the big East in the garden when there were at large births and you didn't have to win the tournament to go, but the electricity in the garden, Syracuse, Georgetown, St. John's Villanova, UConn, just the the passion of all the fans, scalping tickets, you know, going with my best friends, you know, not wanting to miss out on the most exciting sports weekend uh, you could possibly imagine in New York. Uh, Back in those days, the finals were Sunday on Selection Sunday. You had the quarters on Friday. You had the semis on Saturday, and you had the finals on Sunday. The Saturday semis and the Sunday finals were unbelievable. This was before they moved the semis to Friday and the finals to Saturday. The garden was on fire. The the heyday of Pearl Washington uh, in his house, just obliterating Georgetown and lighting them up, unguardable. It was some of the most amazing college basketball moments I have ever seen in my lifetime. That stuff I will never forget. Those are conference tournaments. Will they ever be like that again? No, they can't be. But uh, I can certainly look back and tell you what they were. And they're not what they used to be, but they're still damn good uh, when you've got the passion and you've got uh, the players trying so hard on the lesser teams in the conference to just keep playing, uh, to have a shot at that brass ring, which 
has progressed so dramatically over the years with, you know, the brass ring has become getting into the tournament. Right. When I was younger and the tournament became the most incredible event in sports, Al McGuire, who is hugely responsible for its popularity, nicknamed the final four, the big dance. Somehow, some way, it became extended to the field of 64 and now 68. We're going dancing. He is the one who coined the phrase the big dance, but it was the final four only. It wasn't the tournament itself, but that's how big it's become. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, before we get out of here, I have to ask, as the old report, I don't want to leave us in the lurch. If you wanted to talk boxing real quick with the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight happening Saturday night, two heavyweights battling it out, if you wanted to add your two cents, I don't want to be remiss by just ending the show. Did you watch? Were you interested? Are you excited for round three? What's going on? I was not that interested because I don't think much of either fighter. Um, I saw the highlights. I did not buy it. Was I surprised? Yes. I thought uh, Wilder would knock him out, but he looked just slow, plodding, clearly beaten to the punch. Maybe there's something to be said for uh, the punch to the ear, disposing of his equilibrium for the rest of the night. But, you know, he was never he's never been a good boxer. He's a slugger. You know, when you watch him fight, you see the length of his punches. Uh, You know, there's no there's no repetition. Uh, His punches are. They are long. Uh, They are obviously strong he's a slugger but you know he doesn't put combinations together and you know the gypsy king told us what he was going to do and he did it he boxed he's a big guy you know people forget how big these guys are six foot seven so i mean that's a long jab that he puts in wilder's face and wilder seemed defenseless he seemed slow he seemed listless he seemed defenseless and you know fury fury fought well but you know, these these aren't great heavyweights. I mean, these guys aren't even close to a Lennox Lewis, you know, or or or, or a Riddick Bow, or you know, or, or heavyweights of that nature. They're okay fighters, but you know, they're not. Well, Lennox Lewis would destroy these guys. Uh, so it, it's you know, it, it was great. It, it was good to have a a big time heavyweight fight, the likes of which we haven't seen ever because they were both undefeated with a draw at coming against each other. But, you know, it was a forgettable fight. And he, Wilder, has uh, taken advantage of his rematch option. So you're going to see it again. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to see highlights again because there hasn't been a fight. And I'm a big fight fan. Uh, and the old report goes way back to the days of George Foreman and smoking Joe Frazier and the great Muhammad Ali and those battles with Kenny Norton and the best pound for pound boxer I've ever seen 
the brilliant Sugar Ray Leonard and the fights with Thomas Hearns and Roberto Duran and the great Marvin Hagler, the best middleweight I've ever seen. Uh, those were the days when guys boxed, fought, put combinations together, uh, were dancers, were artists, were punchers. The light heavyweight division was fabulous with you know, Matthew Sa- Saad Muhammad and Mike Rossman and Marvin Johnson and Victor Galendez, just to name a few. So don't think the old report doesn't go back and know his boxing. Boxing, as I know it, is gone by the ways the wayside. Uh, there are not the great boxers in the various divisions where there's three, four, five, six of them the way there used to be. Uh, guys, guys punched, guys knocked people out, guys landed blows, heavy blows from you know welterweights all the way up to the heavyweight division. That wasn't just a dance contest. Um, it was much more exciting and powerful uh, and enthralling to watch. Uh, now, guys, uh, there, there are not, I know it sounds like the good old days and the get off my lawn routine, but there aren't guys today who could hold a candle to the Sugar Ray Leonard's or the Roberto Duran's or the Marvin Hagler's of the world. Not even close. Well, as the new report, I couldn't name you any of those boxers. I checked really quickly as somebody that is an ESPN Plus subscriber to see if I could just turn the fight on to watch. It was 80 US dollars to buy the fight. I immediately clicked out of the application on my phone and carried on with the rest of my night, as I'm sure many of my age did as well, just waiting to catch the highlights after. I mean, good story, big guys. I have nothing more to say. You, you did the narrative as the old report of this show and as the new report i get to say alice always a pleasure we'll do it again next week indeed we will folks we want you to get ready because the spring training report is coming along with our uh, predictions for the division winners and our world series predictions so we want you to stay tuned for that march madness upon us nba playoff runs beginning all that and more with my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. For he and I, Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Until next week, for the new report, the old report, and Great Sports Week, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.